I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth. As always, I'm Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. And on today's show, we, of course, have a, a recap of the Illinois game. We'll get into everything like that uh, uh, and break down the game. We'll get to some stuff around the Big Ten. Uh, we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about in terms of uh, COVID and Wisconsin and the whole uh, nine yards. I'm sure you've all heard all about it. So what we decided to do for this episode is we're going to break it into the good, the bad, and uh, there's a little bit of everything across the conference. Um, so the good will be some of the game. Uh, there will be some bad of the game, some off-field stuff. And then the ugly is is pretty much us just uh, hating on Michigan State for losing to Rutgers and some other stuff. But plenty to get to. Uh, and I think this breaking it up into these segments will, will transition us throughout nicely because it's a, a good culmination of everything that's going on in that first weekend there was. A lot of good, there was a lot of bad, and there was a lot of ugly for the Big Ten um, overall. So it'll be fun to talk about and get into all of those. So, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. There is a lot going on right now in Wisconsin football. <laughs> there is a lot to parse through, so I'm excited to, to talk about it here with you, Tyler. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, there's a lot to uh, touch on, so... Uh, without further ado, we'll just go right into it. We'll start with the good, though. We're not going to uh, hop right into the negative because there was a dominating performance uh, for Wisconsin football, 45-7 win over the Illinois Fighting Illini, a uh, debut for Graham Mertz, which we'll get to in a second. That was phenomenal. Uh, defense looked good. Um, overall, you know, you can you, there, there'll be stuff that we'll nitpick a little bit in the bad that are concerning, but overall, um, compared to last year's contest with Illinois, a great way to start the season. Did a lot of things well um, for the Badgers' first contest. So what were your kind of overall thoughts uh, for the the opening season win? You know, I, I think in a lot of ways it's about as good as you could have asked for um, because some of the glaring questions were, were fairly quickly answered by the Badgers, most notably the play of Graham Mertz and the quarterback position without Jack Cohn. But you look at it, the Badgers dominated that game in just about every facet. Uh, You look at the offense, they almost doubled up in terms of yardage. Uh, Illinois, they were were only three yards away from from doubling them up. And you you look at the amount of plays that they were able to run, their their average gain per play. The offense was just really humming in in most areas. We'll talk about the running game and and some of the concerns around that later on. But, But overall, you saw some positives in special teams with the punting. Um, you saw some positives on offense, and obviously the defense was just was lights out, uh, not surrendering, surrendering no points, and really looking the part in most um, phases of the three levels. So I thought overall it was a, a great win, and one where I think we both were surprised with how big of a route that was when we kind of thought it would be maybe closer than that, that line was going into the game. Yeah, I mean, you looked at it from the Illinois perspective. They had a lot of guys coming back, senior quarterback, you know, established receiving core, established coaching staff. I mean, Wisconsin's got a lot of that similar traits, but um, for the most part, you you thought Illinois would would kind of be a little bit better, and uh, I, I still think they might be. So I think this you might look back at this win in the Big Ten West and think it's a, a pretty solid one. I don't know if it'll be a, their best win of the season by any means, but uh, to to beat a team that was projected to be okay you know they they had a good year last year they probably overachieved a little bit last year so maybe this is kind of a fall back to earth but uh, overall I mean overall it's still a, a 45-7 win over a team that some people were expecting improvements from you know uh, another year under Lovey Smith 
Um, especially, you know, the the big concern was the Wisconsin offense and, and how it might click with the new quarterback against the Lovey Smith defense that forces a lot of turnovers, can make you make mistakes. Uh, of course, there was the one fumble, uh, which was kind of just a weird play in general. But for the most part, Wisconsin was pretty clean with the football. There wasn't, you know, a, there wasn't really any there wasn't any throws that uh, were were off target and almost intercepted because he completed all of them but one, and the one was a drop. So. Graham Mertz uh, looked great in, in picking that defense apart. The offense really, um, in terms of play calling, was, was I thought, pretty well done. You know, they, they, they went to the run and they tried to get it going, and it, it worked a little bit, but there were some things that, that stalled out. But for the most part, I think the, the calling some passes on first and second down, you know, getting Graham Mertz in a rhythm, uh, the play action calling, I think everyone was, uh, you know, pretty seasoned on the offensive side of the football, and uh, hopefully they can continue that rolling. But uh, I think you have to take a lot of positives. Um, from this 45-7 win. Yeah, for sure. And, and it wasn't like Wisconsin did most of their damage in one of the quarters. You look at it time possession-wise, the Badgers had the, had the ball for 43 out of the 60 minutes, uh, almost 43 and a half. And, and you look at how that broke out with the quarter, it was almost almost identical throughout of about 10 minutes. And, and really, they did a phenomenal job. I love that the Badgers were willing to take a strike before the end of the first half. To, to kind of try to throw that haymaker um, and, and score that big, long touchdown. And, and I think, really, there's a lot to glean from this game in, in the positive direction, and, and I think that's a good way to set it up because we saw how Wisconsin got off the gates really hot last year against South Florida, and it, and it helped them in a lot of ways to kind of get that flywheel moving through the other games. Hopefully this can have a similar effect when you've got some, some tough teams go, coming up in the next three games. Yeah, I think you make some some great points there, and that'll that'll kind of transition us nicely because we we overall the game was great, but I think the performer, um, you know, we we talked about it last week who we thought we'd be talking about um, on the upcoming episode, and uh, I think it's it's fair to say that Graham Mertz uh, exceeded all expectations in his debut a little bit, um, you know, expecting big things, but. Wow, I mean th- that performance to come out that way, kind of Russell Wilson esque in his year uh, with Wisconsin, just coming out not just big numbers, but just incredibly efficient, one incompletion. Um, so really, uh, performance that is that is hard to beat. Um, I know uh, everyone was was talking about his game and just how crisp he looked for such a for such a young age. But what did you make of that? I know we've, I know as a staff at Bucky Smith Quarter, we've all kind of been high on Graham Burns, but I don't know if anybody was expecting, you know, that level of play. So, uh, how exciting was that, and, and what did you make of it? Yeah, that was that was awesome. It was great to see the Badgers willing and able to take shots on first down. You saw a lot. The times where the Badgers were were passing on first downs, which is not generally a staple of what uh, they've done the past two seasons, but really, I thought. What Graham Mertz brought with the downfield pass beyond the, you know, your normal checkdowns was really what stood out. I, I thought he did a phenomenal job of pushing the ball down the field, um, hitting some windows that were, were, you know, fairly tight, but then also just taking advantage of some easy passes. I thought Paul Chris set up a phenomenal game plan for him to kind of get into a rhythm early with some easy passes. That first drive was the thing of beauty. Uh, you know, we looked at screen passes, some some wheel routes for fullbacks and everything. So it wasn't anything intricate. It was more so that he was efficient and was accurate. But then when he had to put some pepper on the ball, he was able to do it down the field. Uh, you, I think he just surpassed any expectations that anybody who was realistically thinking of what he was going to bring to the table uh, could have imagined. But but really, the thing that stood out. With the, with the downfield passes is I thought uh, Chris Hummer did a really good job for CBS Sports. He talked a little bit about this, that in that game alone, he had four passes that were over 20 yards completed. He was 100% completion at, at going downfield, including that 53-yarder to, to Danny Davis that I mentioned taking a strike before the half. And you look at the last three seasons before Graham Mertz, Jack Cohn last year was 16 passes and he was 50% completion. Um, between Cone and Hornibrook the year prior in 2018, they had 11 passes where they went over 20 yards, and they were only 31% completion. And in 2017, they had 21 passes of 20-plus yards and were once again under 50%. 
I highly doubt that Mertz is going to keep that 100% clip going. Um, who knows how that will even look if he'll be on the field come Nebraska, which we'll talk about. But, but the ability and the willingness for him to – throw the ball down the field and really hit those kind of those level two balls over the linebacker, as well as um, going level three where you're just heaving it going deep. That was something that really stood out to me and I was pumped to see because that's something that's been missing in the Badgers passing attack the past few years. Yeah, the ability to to really push it down the field can can open up a lot of different things for your offense. I, I think it's something that Paul Chris. Um, when he can do it, when they can throw the ball deep, they they like to do it. And you know, same thing with throwing on first down and second on down, second down. You know, if if you've got the ability to do it and the the trust in the quarterback to do it, it, it opens up uh, a whole uh, host of plays that you might be able to go to, and also just uh, the the sequencing that you can look for. Um, you know, if a defense knows that you're going to run the ball, you know, first second down, cloud of dust, and then throw it to to pick up a first down, it, it can get kind of monotonous and you can and defenses can kinda uh, tell where you're going. Wisconsin did a great job of, of not do not falling into that. Sometimes in the past and, and of course you've had Jonathan Taylor for three years, you want to get him his touches. So you were you were gonna run the ball on first and second down and you were going to, you know, try and stay ahead of the chains and get your quarterback in an optimal situation where if you need a third down conversion, you can go to it, or if it's third and short, you can go right back to the bread and butter of the run. But uh, I think at times in in the three years of Jonathan Taylor, they kind of fell into some traps where they would lean a little heavy on the run because you want to get your best player the ball. Well, now it's a little bit more open, and you, you saw that on Friday night where they were going to the pass early, going to the play action on, on first down. So they were expecting run. You go out, you open things up, you know, down on the goal line, those Jake Ferguson play action passes were, um, you know, they, you saw right there, they were selling out for the run. You had to trust, and, and Jake Ferguson didn't have a guy within six yards of him. So the the offense was really impressive, but I think Graham Mertz's tools that, that he brings and allows the offense to open up can hopefully, you know, keep the things keep things moving, keep things open, because the run game we'll talk about in a little bit needs to be a little bit better, um, and It'll help get better if you have a passing game that you can go to on on multiple downs uh, without too much of a worry. Now, I'm not saying Graham Mertz is going to come out and play like that every football game, but if you've got the ability to do that, that brings uh, a whole host of plays and packages and sequences that you didn't have before. Yeah, I mean, he, there's going to be ups and downs. He's still a redshirt freshman. We've seen that with redshirt freshmen and some of the class of 2019 that are sophomores now. They have really brilliant moments. Um, you know, I don't know if a lot of them have had moments like he just had, but then you also have moments where you're just kind of scratching your head. So that's going to come. Uh, you, you're not always going to go 20 for 21. But I, I think overall that was about as good as a recipe as you can get, and he really played a hell of a game. It was great to see kind of the – the poise he played with, and as well as the confidence he played with and exuded because you, you saw a guy really celebrating out there, having a great time and with with the other guys on the team. And, you know, not to say that Jack Cohn and Alex Hornibrook didn't also do that at times, but he has a little bit more flair and a little bit more flash to him that not only helps, um, you know, the confidence of the entire team, but it also is, is really good for recruiting that can't be uh, diminished. Another solid of the game was uh, the defense, kind of pitching a shutout on their end, looked impressive, um, really against the pass, you know, holding Illinois just 87 yards, uh, you know, nabbed an interception, probably should have had a couple more when you think about it. Um, you know, they, they had a couple where, you're the, where everyone is exciting and excited and, and ready to get picked off, and it just dropped to the ground. Um, so uh, we, uh, so it looks like the defense is, is looking solid, and uh, what did you make of their performance? I thought they did really good. I, th- I think the, especially in the secondary, they were really impressive. Illinois didn't even eclipse 100 yards passing, which is, which is unheard of and is definitely different than what we saw last year. We, we saw, um, obviously some, some really struggle, some struggling throws from a guy like Isaiah Williams who, you know, he was skipping balls out there, um, at times and he also had that interception. But, but I think really you look at what Rashad Wild Goose did again against Emad or Bebe and I thought that was really good. I, I think he, kind of established and showed why he is that number one corner. Um, At least I know we had talked about that he was the unquestioned starter instead of having the or designation. Uh, Just his flexibility of being able to play inside and outside the slot, he was able to 
to follow him for most of the game, and I think that definitely helps the defense in a lot of ways. So I think that was big was what the secondary was able to do, um, as well as the, the defensive line. Just the defensive line was really good against the run, especially the inside run. We'll talk a little bit about the outside run that, that hampered the Badgers a little bit, but really I, I thought Keanu Benton was, was just very disruptive in there, had four tackles which credited with that fourth fumble early. Um, and, and we just kind of saw some fresh faces that made a, a made, made a nice impact. So that was really fun to see. And, and I think this defense lived up to what we think they can be. I'm hopeful for a little bit more pressure uh, coming next week when they play Nebraska, having only had three sacks last game. But but really, overall, you, there's tough to, tough to nitpick a lot from the defense. Yeah, I think you had a couple guys that really that really showed out, and and overall the unit looked as strong as as we expected. Um, you know, you look at at all levels, there were there were guys that performed really strong. Keanu Benton um, had a great great night at the nose tackle position, uh, which I think a lot of people expected, and and was excited to see the growth from him. You know, Leo Chanel had four tackles, as you know, those were two guys that are. Coming in as young players, taking on much bigger roles, they need to be just as good, um, you know, week in and week out. And they showed that they're, I, I think, ready to do that. Colin Wilder was up there um, in, in terms of tackles uh, for the lead. Everybody kind of did their job, which was nice to see. It wasn't, you know, last year you had games where, where Zach Orr and Chris Bond were just dominating the game, and and they made it known. And, and Jack Sanborn, you know, collected his 13 tackles for the day, and uh, they went about their business, kind of winning it with the three linebackers. Uh, on Friday night, you, you kind of had good performances from everybody. You didn't necessarily have, you know, one guy that stood out and, and carried the weight. The defense as a whole just looked sound, which as as someone who's you watch football, you want – I'd rather see a performance where the defense, everyone is clicking rather than, you know, a couple guys are making the plays and, and bringing up the rest of the unit. So if you've got a, you know, a defense where all 11 looks strong, it's, it's certainly uh, – makes the unit look as strong as I think we all expected. And there's certainly things that we're going to nitpick here and, and get into a little bit more. And, you know, nobody played a perfect game by any means, but the, the defense looked about as good as you can ask for an opening game. You know, there's been some performances across the country where defenses have came out and just look, not looked in sync, looked off, timing was off, you know, trying to figure out the opposing offense. You didn't have spring ball. You had all these excuses. Wisconsin didn't look like they ran into that at all, and they – they got a lot of good performances from a lot of faces, some new faces, which was uh, really exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think I think overall, just it was great. You, I was interested because you didn't see a lot of a guy like Scott Nelson, but then you also saw a lot more of a guy like Madison Cohn. So there was some things, some subtle nuances that I think we weren't expecting going into this game that that happened, and I think um, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of transpires over the course of the year with the defense because there was a lot of mi- uh, mixing and matching that first game, getting a lot of guys some playing time. And I'm wondering to see if maybe that uh, rotation tightens up a little bit as it c- gets to a game like Michigan, for example, uh, in a couple weeks. All right, to kind of round out the the good of the the conversation, let's go ahead and uh, I think we're going to just do, well, we're, we're going to pick two uh, names to shout out. I, I think we've already talked a lot of Graham Murray, so we'll exclude him from the list because we know how, how great he was. Uh, but who are some guys, you know, on either side of the ball? You, you all give you first pick on the two. Uh, who would you give as your shout out um, for the Week One performance? Uh, a guy that really jumped out to me um, in, on the defensive side of the ball was I really liked what I saw out of C.J. Getz. I thought he played really well. Um, he got beat on that wheel route, that uh, back shoulder throw. That's not really his game generally. He's more of a downhill rusher. But he had a nice nice sack um, and played really well. I, I thought Nick Herbig also looked good. Uh, got sucked in on a couple times on the zone read. But overall, those two guys played really well and very much overshadowed Isaiah Green-May, which might be an indication of what we see moving forward there. Um, so I, I thought those were guys that really jumped out to me on the defense. Um, I'll count that as one just because uh, um, I, I think they played very similarly in terms of what they brought to the table. Yeah, both of those guys were excellent. They were the two names that I was going to mention as well. You know, Nick Herbig for his – uh, first performance played a lot. You know, had a couple plays where he was a little bit off, but uh, as a you know a freshman, uh, you're going to expect some of that too. But you know, there was a lot of plays where you know he had a sack, was in the right place, should have had an interception, 
Um, so some some definitely some good things that we we kind of saw what uh, everyone had been talking about and hyping him about. Uh, you know, of course, as a recruit, you, you know what he's going to bring in some capacity, but until he's out there on the field and doing it, it's hard to to you know completely figure out what he's going to bring to the table. So I thought he played really well. The other guys we've already kind of mentioned in in Benton played really well. And then, of course, on offense, Jake Ferguson, you know, just dominating. Uh, looked really impressive, seven receptions, uh, three touchdowns. Looks like he's going to be the number one target. I think both you and I, when we, we did some offseason episodes, we both thought he would lead the team um, in receiving yards and in receptions. He's well on his way to doing that. You know, his seven were um, by far and away the most, and I think he'll be the number one target for Mertz and, you know, uh, we'll get into a little bit later. I'm, I'm sure if, if Chase Wolf is in there, he's going to look for his reliable tight end. So um, definitely got to give him a shout out. And then uh, you know, offensively, I, I think those are the two you know, two names that you really got to touch on is Mertz and Ferguson. They were the big parts of the offense. Danny Davis looked a little bit more in sync with that big long pass. Only had two receptions, but uh, a guy that I think he'll get more involved. So. Running game, I think needs a little bit better to get a shout out by any means, but uh, we'll we'll get into that here in just a second. And I think that kind of wraps up the good. So should we uh, get to the bad? I was going to say, in addition to Ferguson, I thought the tight ends and fullbacks in general played really well. Um, I, I thought you saw you know touchdowns by both Mason Stocky through the air and then uh, John Chanel on the ground, and then you also look at. Um, Rucci, as a, as a blocker, I thought he did really well as well. Obviously, he did not catch a pass. He had a false start that was kind of a, a glaring mistake, and he was pulled right away for uh, our darling uh, Jack Eschenbach. But really, he uh, he played really well as a blocker. And then I actually thought Garrett Groshek played really well. Um, obviously, the running part wasn't tremendous, but he did average over five yards of carry. But he ran kind of similar to what we expected going into it, but he also added in almost 30 yards receiving, 99 total yards. So I thought he played pretty well given his opportunities um, as he ran the ball quite a bit less than the other two, um, like Nakia Watson, who got the bulk of the carries. Yeah, I think that's a a great point. Those guys definitely deserve some recognition. Uh, The fullbacks did really well. Tight end room is a lot better than where they were. You know, the opener last year, Hardly had enough. Hardly had enough bodies to to feel the tight end room. So to have uh, some guys playing well there is is nice to see um, with with Hayden Rucci and of course Jake Ferguson. So we'll get to the bad now. Uh, defense a little bit. Um, you know, again, I, I think this is kind of nitpicking because there were some situations where um, they they looked really well. They didn't give up any points, so you can't speak on it too much. But Brandon Peters, who isn't necessarily a mobile quarterback. He, he's a little bit better on his feet than even I expected, you know, um, you know, coming into that game. But gave up, you know, 75 yards on the quarterback run. Uh, he was really doing some things with the read option. I thought, you know, keeping Peters in the game was, was almost a mistake by the um, Illinois coaching staff with Williams there, who's more of a dual threat guy. Uh, but either way, both of them, you know, showed some things that they could run the ball and move the ball up and down the field with their offense. So I think – it showed some bigger points going into this game where you're going to face a lot of QB run against Nebraska, but just how concerned were you about some of those plays that kind of uh, made you not scratch your head, but worry a little bit about some stuff on defense? Yeah, it's definitely worrisome. I, I thought the the way that the defensive line was so stout against the run in the middle that it made it so that maybe though the outside linebackers can do a better job going into Nebraska of, of keeping contain. They re- really bit hard um, and, and flew quickly down towards the running back, leaving Brandon Peters specifically to be able to run outside on those zone reads. And I, I think they need to get it just focus on their keys. First game jitters, I'm going to chalk it up to just because you had two guys in specifically in CJ Guest as well as uh, Nick Herbig that really haven't played a lot of football and a lot of outside linebacker for the Badgers. So you're you're expecting them to to come right out the gates and be perfect, which just isn't going to happen. Uh, they, they're going to need to be more crisp going into. Nebraska and Paul Christ even alluded to that in the press conference this morning that we heard that basically the they're going to be really focusing on that because Nebraska has a couple of good good uh, quarterbacks that can run. I'm, I'm not going to say they're unworldly as, as throwers, but definitely can run with uh, McCaffrey as well as Martinez. So it's going to be really important for that they stick to their keys, make sure to um, keep containing and, and 
let those interior guys do their work because they need to be able to trust that, hey, the defensive line is really looked the part this year and they, they really did, held their own in there. Let, let them do their, their job. Let the inside linebackers do their part. And instead, you just key on keeping the quarterback uh, where he is. So I think that's going to be a focal point for Jim Leonard in the defense this week, I would assume. Yeah, the, you know, he, Paul Chris kind of talked about it. They, he was, knew they were going to get tested on that no matter what, just with Scott Frost's offense and what they like to do with the quarterback run. But it's definitely going to be something that is, is more heightened and, and more attention is going to be paid, made to it. Uh, when you look at the quarterbacks that they have on the other side, Adrian Martinez last year um, against Wisconsin really was doing a lot. Of, you know, he threw the ball well. Um, you know, against the Badgers, but he also he, really a lot of his damage was done, you know, uh, with his feet. Uh, so in that quarterback run game is something that the Badgers are going to have to be better at there. And part of that will uh, get to, um, you know, with, with just getting more pressure, which I know you talked about a little bit earlier in the show that overall uh, the pressure needs to be better so you can keep keep contained a little bit better, keep the quarterback, you know, um, you know on their toes and, and not not knowing where they're going to go with the football early on because they've got all day to to do that. So. I think uh, in terms of is it a big concern? Yeah, you know, Brandon Peters, if he gashes you for that many yards, it's concerning. But at the same time, I think you hit the nail on the head with it's their first game. They, they played a lot of, of Nick Herbig's, a lot of gets. So younger outside linebackers going against that, they'll get better at it. It's, it's still um, early on in their career. So I didn't read into it too much, but it's definitely um, something to pay attention to as the week rolls on because Nebraska does it uh, pretty well with the two guys that they've got, and they, they did it okay against a, a strong Ohio State defense this past weekend. Yeah, and it's and it's important to note that the Badgers, in a lot of teams that use a lot of man-to-man, are, are going to be susceptible, susceptible to quarterback run as is just because your your corners are, are going to be locked in on, on their, their reads, which is going to be their, the guy in front of them, and it's going to make it so that there's going to be opportunities that if you get past the, the linebackers, you've got running room. And that's what happens. That's why you saw a guy like Brandon Peters running for 31 yards down the field. Um, it's important, though, that to note that he really only had 75 yards rushing, and as a team, they only ran for 131. So it's not like they got killed by it altogether. It ultimately didn't lead to any points, but it's definitely something they're going to want to refine and, and work on heading into a, a big game on the road against Nebraska. All right, on the other side... The run game was, you know, some people were not impressed by it. I, I think you you kind of talked about it with first game jitters and getting into the flow on the defensive side of the ball. I, I kind of think it was that on the offensive side of the ball as well. You've got a new quarterback, new running back, offensive line that has not been pieced together. There's a lot of names that uh, are, are really talented, but you were wondering who the combo was going to be. Um, so, yeah, last year they came out and, and really clicked in, in the run game with Jonathan Taylor but you also had Jonathan Taylor to kind of open things up. So a lot of moving pieces on the offense. So the running game maybe wasn't as crisp as you've seen it for Wisconsin teams in the past. Not their best performance by any Wisconsin standard, but I didn't think it was as glaring. I think it's going to be a concern if you've got to go to the run game a little bit more this week with the you know question marks, Karan and Graham Mertz. But how concerned are you about the running game, or was it just kind of the same situation where it was uh, – First game, you know, getting getting some uh, you know play under the belt, or are you looking to maybe make some changes um, as you go into Nebraska? Yeah, there's definitely going to be changes, um, but the Badgers, I thought, uh, didn't look nearly as crisp with running the ball. And, and Paul Chris talked about that after the game as well, saying that there was some things that just didn't look uh, the way that they wanted it to. I, I think it's it's twofold. Anytime there's the running game struggles, it's on the offensive line. It's also on the running backs, and that was definitely the in the case here. There was a lot of lookout blocks where offensive linemen just completely whiffed or didn't didn't reach their guy um, when they were pulling. That happened a lot, and and it led to um, some losses. You you saw Nikia Watson was hit in the backfield multiple times. He lost seven yards, which is a hell of a lot for a Wisconsin running back. Usually that line is leaning on guys and getting them out so to where they're at least getting back to the line of scrimmage, but that wasn't the case. Um, and that those were just complete complete olays where they just missed it. But then you also saw some some hesitation and some 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 missed holes by by Watson and Garendo specifically. I didn't see much from from Garrett Groshek in that 
in that arena, but but I thought that there was multiple times where Garendo and Nikia Watson showed their youth in their um, that they're still learning how the defense is flowing based off of the offensive line and and how they can make those cuts. We're we're used to Jonathan Taylor, and we were spoiled for three years, and, and people expected that there wouldn't be a precipitous drop off. I I think. This is an indication of obviously how talented Jonathan Taylor was, but also that there's a bunch of young guys that are that are trying to to figure this out on the fly. I would anticipate that Watson and Garendo will get another shot at it. You, I was surprised you didn't see uh, Jalen Berger at least get some carries later in the fourth quarter, but I think the rushing yards probably look a hell of a lot better, and the um, rushing game probably opens up a little bit more um, in the inside run if. Those those two jet sweeps don't uh, kind of just fall apart. You saw Kendrick Pryor gain gain two yards on it, and he he had at least thirty running down that sideline if he doesn't trip on the the turf monster. And then Danny Davis gained four, and he just completely ran into his his blockers in front of him and was not patient enough. So I think if those two plays were have would have been different. I think it definitely opens up the opportunity for the the backs to to have a few more lanes. But but it's also a matter of they've got to do a better job of breaking tackles. Anthony Davis, former Badger running back, talked about that um, on Twitter. I saw it. You saw Nakia Watson just get shoestringed and it, on a couple of different runs, and it was just like there's there's got to be that stiff arm. There's got to be that pick up your feet and and keep going because there there was nothing but green in front of him on a couple runs where if if you make one guy miss you're off to the races, and, and that's the thing that the Badgers need from somebody. Whether it's Groshek, I, Watson, or Garendo, it's got to, one of those guys has got to make that um, uh, come to fruition. Yeah, I, I think in, in terms of the running back room there, there was some, uh, you know, I can't put it all the blame on them. I think the offensive line had a lot of missed blocks, like you mentioned, that uh, needs to get cleaned up, and I have pretty pretty confident in Joe Rudolph that he's going to get some of that area. Uh, fixed, but uh, the the missing of the holes, like you mentioned, with the Kia Watson is something we saw a little bit last year with him, um, and it's going to have to get better for him this year if he wants to be, you know, the the pri- you know he led the team in carries uh, on Friday night. If he wants to keep that role and and be the bell cow that they lean on, he's going to have to find a few more gaps. You need to bust some more runs, but I I like that you brought up the Jonathan Taylor stuff because there was a lot of what I saw. On Twitter uh, was, you know, complaints about the run game, and, and rightfully so. It didn't look crisp, you know, like Wisconsin teams have in the past, but Wisconsin has had some really good running backs, uh, and especially, you know, I think uh, we have been spoiled a little bit by Jonathan Taylor. You know, before that with Melvin Gore, all these guys were, were, were really good running backs, and maybe they don't have that guy this year, um, but they'll still have, uh, I think, a pretty consistent running game once they get uh, – this unit, you know, moving and, and get the offensive line figured out a little bit better. Some of that stuff is just need to get cleaned up. Um, and then running backs just need to, you know, get in the hole, you know, find it. It's still the first game. You're going to have uh, some sloppiness to it. So uh, overall, wasn't pretty. Uh, but I, I think if there's a week to get it figured out, you know, it's going to be against a team like Nebraska, who's been kind of soft up front in their, in their time in the Big Ten. So, uh, to come out and, and really to show your presence and, and lean on them a little bit more on the offense side of the ball and hit those holes. I think uh, Nebraska is the week to do it, so hopefully they can get some of that cleaned up uh, you know, and, and make it not be on the bad uh, for when we revisit this conversation uh, later next week. But uh, we'll get to the other part of the bad now. Um, it's real bad. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> uh, of course, after the game, um, the, the bad continued a little bit for the Badgers. Rumors began to swirl. Um, around Graham Mertz. I believe the first I kind of heard about it was Saturday. Um, there was some hush-hush rumors that it's been uh, reported now um, that Graham Mertz has tested positive for COVID once and is awaiting a second test to confirm. Of course, Wisconsin uh, has been very hush-hush on the situation. Um, you know, on the presser today, you could – you <laughs> every media member was trying to pick off uh, with some hypotheticals, uh, things like that. Didn't quite happen. You know, Paul Chris was pretty good and well-versed about it, and uh, there was no player availability today. Uh, sounds like they were going to revisit that, maybe to kind of try and keep some of this stuff under wrap. So a lot to unpack here with this situation. Where do you even want to begin uh, with this one? 
Yeah, it is. There is a lot going on here, um, including the the guy who tweeted it out first uh, in, late in the late Saturday night, and then just kind of you know talking with people more and more about stuff and kind of how this was flowing. Bottom line is we're not totally sure what's going to happen here, uh, but definitely had tested positive once. There's a lot of times where there's been false positives, um, so it's not complete doom or gloom, but it's definitely not trending in the right direction. Um, so basically, he needs to now take a PCR nasal swab test in order to kind of confirm if if he's able to continue practicing or not. Um, but if, if this goes sour and does you know come come back positive for for COVID nineteen a second time? That's twenty one days without him being on the practice field or or in a game, which means you're going to miss him for Nebraska, Purdue, as well as Michigan, which is no bueno. Um, so I'm hopeful that that's not going to be the case, and that basically he'll he'll be okay, and they'll just be able to have to monitor it. But it also is is scary because. The, the team positive rate, he he was just playing in a game on Friday with uh, everybody. UW put out a statement basically saying that uh, nobody, everybody on the field was had not pe- tested positive, so there was no – the field was quote-unquote clean going into it. So it's, But it's a matter of now kind of what happens team-wise as well as uh, with the, this test that everybody's just going to be on um, pins and needles over. Um, and, and who knows when we find out. It could very well be the day of against Nebraska that we hear something um, just because of HIPAA. I think that you see how tight, tight-lipped the Badgers are being right now, and I would anticipate that that's going to be the case for the, the coming days. Yeah, it's fair to assume that, and you know, even if they get that second test, the doubts are going to be running and screaming to the world that uh, all is clear. You know, that if if they don't have to uh, put too much out there, they're not going to. They're not going to be overshares in a situation like this, and that's kind of the world you live in with college sports and, and kind of that gamesmanship factor. But at the end of the day, you hope that it is a false positive that Graham Mertz is safe and healthy and, and doesn't have to deal with this. Um, you know, this disease, it's not something that anybody wants to get. So you, you're just at the end, you know, safety first. You want him to be healthy for his regard, for his health, um, you know, not just to play football for the Badgers, but for the rest of his life. You don't want him to have to deal with any sort of ailments because of this. It's a, it's a deadly virus, and it's not something that anyone should take lightly or, or you know, now you're not hoping to just kick it to be able to play football. So that part of it is, is certainly there, and you just kind of have to hope that it's going to be a false positive, and, and who knows when we'll know. Um, like like you said, uh, the Badgers have been very quiet about it. I wouldn't expect that to change. I'm sure at some point they'll have to give some sort of inclination or answer, but you could very well go into Saturday kind of not knowing. And if it is Chase Wolf, if it is Graham Mertz, either way, um, I, I still like their chances in that one. I think Chase Wolf is a guy that certainly could play uh, at this level. It's not like they're – I don't expect him to have a Graham Mertz type performance from what we had last week, but I think Chase Wolf can get the job done at the level. So there's there's not as much concern, but you still just saw the debut of Graham Mertz. You don't want to be out without him for 21 days, like you mentioned. Those those three weeks are important weeks. So uh, I, I'm not really sure what to make of it. It's just kind of sit back and keep your fingers crossed that it was a false positive and that we'll see him out there Saturday, or hopefully we get some sort of further news that uh, you know moves it back in the positive direction. But until then, it's uh, it's a sticky situation, and it's uh, one that I know Wisconsin fans and Wisconsin coaching staff uh, was not hoping to have uh, this early on in the season. Oh, oh, definitely not, considering that the season just got off the ground. You just saw the Badgers have probably their best quarterback performance in some time, and then, boom, this happens. It is pretty heartbreaking. Uh, it's pretty much the most Wisconsin thing of all time. But, um <laughs> It's it's we'll see what happens where it's at. Uh, I, I think the Badgers probably are going to be practicing with Chase Wolf as your number one guy for most of practice because you can't have Graham Mertz out there anyways. Now it's just a matter of getting him prepped and ready. He's been probably practicing like he was going to be the number one anyways because he's been the number two. He's got talent. It, it, the Paul Chris mentioned that the game plan wouldn't really change uh, if he if he's the guy. Um, they can all do pretty much the same thing. I think Chase Wolf doesn't have quite quite the arm talent that you see out of a guy like Graham Mertz and that we saw from him in that game, which was pretty 
pretty impressive, uh, especially like that thread and the needle uh, to split the cover two to, to Jake Ferguson. But I think the Badgers will be okay. Is okay good enough to beat Nebraska? I'm not sure. But I think right now it's, it's just wait and see mode and hopeful, hope for the best because uh, you don't want anybody having this virus, uh, let alone um, a, a, a young guy who's, who's going to have to possibly miss uh, three weeks of, of play and how it could impact those around him as well on the team. So hopefully, hopefully false positive, but really it's it's out of everybody's hands at this point. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, the nice part was, you know, Paul Chris did mention he didn't think, what I, with everything that's going on, um, didn't think that it would alter or change anything for Saturday's contest against Nebraska. So that is a good sign. Whether Graham Murch is out there or not with uh, his COVID test, at least the game will still be going on. You don't want to have to... No fall on a no contest because other players uh, have it that way. So at least right now, it looks like everything is trending towards still playing on Saturday, and hopefully they can have Graham Mertz out there. So that kind of rounds out the bad. Um, we'll we'll go ahead and get into our ad reads, and then we'll do some quick uh, ugly Big Ten roundup because there was some uh, not so great performances around the conference. But we'll uh, get our ad reads out of the way, and then we'll get into that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we've done the good, we've done the bad. We'll hit on the ugly here quick. Big Ten West didn't have its best performance as Nebraska, Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota all opened the seasons with losses. Of course, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Purdue sit atop the conference at 1-0. Which performance for you was was maybe the the ugliest that you saw um, on Saturday? Because there wasn't... It wasn't a lot of great games for some Big Ten teams, but there were a couple of performances that, that really stuck out as uh, yikes. And, uh, you know, the, which one for you kind of caught your eye? You know, I think I think it was, first of all, great for Northwestern and Purdue. I think those are big wins for them. Northwestern obviously playing Maryland, not that big of a big of a win, but they, they definitely blew the doors off of them. Purdue getting a, a big win over Iowa is, is huge for their season, but but yeah, I, I think you look at Minnesota, and that was pretty pretty ugly in a lot of ways. That Minnesota's defense is not good, uh, especially up front. Their defensive line got absolutely bullied by Michigan. You saw Michigan play pretty well um, throughout that game, and Tanner Morgan did not seem to be the quarterback that we saw last year. Um, Rashad Bateman had multiple occasions where he could have broken the game open if there was a little bit better throws to him. We saw Tanner Morgan missing wide open uh, receivers at times, and that was not what we saw last year. We'll see how big of a loss Kurt Chiraca was, their former offensive coordinator, but I, I think that was the one that really jumped out because everybody was super high on Minnesota. They were at home. You know, game day, It was there was a lot of reasons for Minnesota to be up um, for that game, and Michigan just walked in there and punched them in the mouth, uh, and and that's not a great look for, for P.J. Also, Iowa, they, they just didn't look that great either. Their defense was, was really struggled. They, I know they were missing some pieces, but and they, were, they don't return a lot on the defensive side of the ball, but Purdue was able to do a lot against them without their head coach as well as uh, without Rondale Moore, arguably their best player. So I think both of those are on an equal playing field to me. Nebraska was going to get Nebraska pretty quickly. I thought it by Ohio State, and obviously Wisconsin took care of Illinois handily. 
Yeah, I mean, I think of the performances, you know, Nebraska, you know, of course you're playing Ohio State, and I think they actually looked okay, you know, hanging with Ohio State for a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone expected them to hang with them um, for four quarters, but uh, for the most part, they, they looked okay compared to the other ones. Minnesota, you know, I I picked Michigan to win that game, but I think a lot of it was just because I knew there were some players out for Minnesota in terms of COVID, but at the same time, there were still a lot of things that even with some of those guys that looked pretty ugly for them. So that was definitely a, a telling performance and one that they're going to have to clean up um, if they want to contend for this Big Ten West division title because that is, is not a performance you want to start the season. And it's not like they were taking on a team in, in Michigan that is, you know, they, they look good. I, I'll give credit to that, but it's not like Jim Harbaugh is known for going on the road uh, and, and beating top 25 teams. It's kind of something that he struggled with. And you look at, uh, you know, Michigan had plenty of question marks on their roster as well. So for them to get that win uh, on the road, you know, college game day, the whole nine yards, I know it's a little different with no fans, but impressive win for them. But overall, Minnesota did not look pretty in that one. And then Iowa, not sure what to make of, of their performance. You know, I don't think uh, anyone really – it was a three-point spread, so it could have gone either way. But uh, without Jeff Brom, you kind of expected Iowa to maybe uh, put their clamps on this game, and, and they just didn't. You know, they had leads and, and couldn't hang on to them. And uh, especially without Rondale Moore, you thought Purdue might, uh, you know, slip down a little bit. But definitely not the strongest opening weekend uh, for the Big Ten West. But – out east, things were not all that pretty either um, for some teams. Penn State falls to Indiana. Um, as happy as I was to see that, not sure what to make of that call at the end. Michigan State loses to Rutgers, so yikes over there too. Uh, what did you make of that call before we get into the Michigan State stuff? Uh, did you think that was a, a good two-point conversion, or did you think they would call them? If you were the ref, what would you be making on that call? Oh man! If I was the ref, well, as a as a just an observer, uh, I definitely wanted that call to be a touchdown. Uh, but I think it depends. If you're right there, the guy saw it. It bang bang. He went with his gut that it was a touchdown, and obviously, I think that's why it ended up being called that it stood. But you look at that above view, and it kind of looks like it might not have. Um, been all totally there that's that thing is going to be on every damn shirt worn by anyone in indiana um moving forward where with the pylon and him diving out but but man i that's i would probably say that he was he was out and that he wasn't there i I, but i I get it either way just because i wasn't right there and i think it all just came down to the bang bang nature of it um it was an incredible effort though uh, i thought just to to make that even a possibility but um, what did what did you what did you think? I I was I'm kind of in agreement with you. I wanted Indiana to win that game. Um, you know, as I, I had a bet for Indiana plus six, so I was kind of you know fine with them going for two and ending it uh, either way. But I I was glad to see them win. You know, Indiana football for years has been a team that has gotten into those situations and lost those games. So uh, as for the call, I I thought he was just short and the ball hit out of bounds. So I didn't think they were gonna. Um, call it as it stands. It'll be interesting to see if they called it the other way, you know, how it held up. But a crazy finish, and, you know, good for Tom Allen for getting that win. And, and Indiana is a program that certainly deserves to get to that point and, and win some of those games because they've been on the losing end of a lot. But for Penn State, you know, if you if you go down and you, you know, you run out the clock there, you you kind of avoid that situation in general. So I can't feel that bad when, you know, when James Franklin kind of blunders um, you know, the clock management something he's struggled with in the past. You know, if they, they just go down and, and you win that game on their own, they're, they're okay, and they weren't able to do that. So the call is probably a tough one to swallow, but at the same time, you, you, know, you execute clock management, you win the game, so I can't really have too much sympathy for you. Man, just amazing that Raheem Morris and, um, and uh, James Franklin had those kind of blunders at the end of the game where the running backs uh, didn't know what to do and weren't were indecisive and, and scored the touchdowns and led to losses. But I, I for the Falcons, uh, for those of you who don't know who Reed Moster is, but um, but man, I, I I thought that that was just the most James Franklin way that they could have lost. There was there was so many turnovers. There was um, just not a real crisp game for Penn State in that they 
doubled up Indiana in terms of yards, kind of time of possession. It was essentially the Badgers lost last year to Illinois on, on steroids, and it was tough to watch for, for Penn State. Um, and, but I have no feels for them right now because they've got to get ready for uh, Ohio State, and they, they really don't look like the team that many people thought they were coming into the season. Yeah, good luck for them. They've got to turn around and play uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes in Week 2. That's a tough one to swallow that loss and then have to go and take on uh, the Buckeyes at home. But uh, overall, you know, not an easy performance for them. Um, what did you make of, of Michigan State? Because I think that one was one we, we expected it to be close, but I didn't think Michigan State would look that bad. Seven turnovers, which is kind of the culmination of uh, all things ugly. Yeah, did you ever did you end up going through with that bet with Rutgers I, over Michigan State? I did. I took Rutgers Love plus it. thirteen and a half, and I was I was happy to see it from the start. So yeah, because we we both I know when we were talking about it, we both picked Rutgers to keep it closer than what it was. Um, but yeah, that's good for you. I'm I'm hope hopefully it sounds like the the betting went good this weekend for you. But uh, I, I thought really Michigan State just looked horrendous. I, I thought. <laughs> They, there were so many turnovers. I think they had like five. You can't do that and win a game. You just can't, no matter if it's Rutgers or not. Um, so I, I thought good for Rutgers. If, if they were going to win, it had to be kind of that first game uh, or against Maryland because the rest of their schedule is brutal. But um, good for them, Greg Schiano, getting them off to a, a good start. And, and I doubt we're going to see a lot more Rutgers wins, but that was definitely a positive sign for them and hopefully – um, helping them be relevant this year and in the years to come because the Big Ten needs them to be better, um, especially when non-conference play comes back. Most definitely. So that kind of rounds out the ugly. So we, we've hit on it all, a little bit longer episode here for you guys, but there's a lot to get to. So um, we, we knew that we'd be pushing the, the full limits of the 45 to 50 minutes here. But uh, before we let you guys go, a couple uh, or one piece of news, Wisconsin-Purdue on November 7th will be on ABC at 2.30, we kind of we're getting the uh, the times out, uh, I believe, the week before is kind of how they've been. Um, so we'll get another 2.30 kick for Purdue. Um, that'll be an interesting one. And then, of course, the next one will be when, uh, what time the Michigan game kicks off. Uh, not sure if that'll be an early game or a 2.30 or even a night game. So uh, it's nice to see that we're starting to get some schedules. 2.30 this weekend, 2.30 for the Purdue game to, uh, you know, get some time started and, uh Hopefully the Badgers will be out there ready to go, and hopefully Graham Mertz will be out there with them. We'll wait and see on that, of course. Uh, uh, we'll be into, regardless of the situation with that, we'll get into our Nebraska preview on our next episode later in the week. We've got an interview with Corn Nation lined up to talk all things Corn Huskers. So uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the little bit longer episode, but a lot to uh, get to. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, we'll be back with you later in the week to talk Nebraska, and as always, on Wisconsin.